Praise God. Um, it's such an honor to be here. Um, and, you know, I, I, know every, I know people say this all the time when they come to speak somewhere. Oh, thank you for the privilege. But I don't really take it lightly when I'm asked to speak in front of people, uh, the people of God, because I think it's a great honor that uh, God will put me in a position where I can speak something of his heart to his people. So I don't take it lightly at all. And I want to honor Pastor Paul and Pastor Victoria and the leadership team here and all you guys who've been, you know, just supporting what we do. You know, I don't take it lightly at all. And I really, really value uh, what you've been doing to support our ministry and what we do. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my parents moved over to this country in 2001 as missionaries uh, because my dad was a missionary to Ghana where I met my mom. My mom is from Ghana, my dad is from Nigeria, and I was born in Liberia uh, and uh, lived a lot in Liberia, Ghana, Nigeria. <laughs> and then over 10 years now I've been living here. So I say that to say I've got a missionary blood in me. So I come to this nation uh, as a missionary uh, to see this nation turned around for God. Because the reason why I'm standing here today is because missionaries from this nation years ago went over to Nigeria. And I don't know if you realize this, a lot of them took their coffins with them. Okay, that is intense. You know, right here in Manchester, I think it was in 1890, there was a move of God that came out of a lot of the Wesley movement. It was a missionary movement, and there was a call for missions, uh, for people to go to the ends of the earth as missionaries. And right here in Manchester, in the Methodist Central Hall, I think the building has been demolished that was there, but in that very spot, there was a call for missions, and there were queues of young people signing up to go as missionaries to Africa. Listen to this, knowing that the life expectancy was about a few weeks. Knowing that the life expectancy was a few weeks, there was queues of people still queuing up to go. My question is, if that call were to go right now, who's gonna respond? And does that tell us we've got a wrong idea of what the gospel is all about? Because my thing is, what was in the hearts of those young people that caused them to sign up in their masses? I believe there was a raw passion for God. And my thing is, if that passion exists today in us, for God's church and God's kingdom in this nation, we're going to have a holy revolution because one of the greatest things we're facing as the church right now is the spirit of apathy and complacency and the spirit of the age that so easily just comes into a walk with God and will become very comfortable. And you don't know you're asleep until you wake up. And today God's going to wake some of you up. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's wake up time. <laughs> and I want you to say this to yourself. Wake up. Wake up. Say to yourself, wake up. See, you could be awake in a certain dimensions, but there, but there are other dimensions you're asleep to. And you don't know the dimensions you're asleep to until God begins to just do something in you. And I'm like, God, where am I asleep? Wake me up. Because I don't want to get to heaven and realize that I missed out. Because I settled for so little. Because my vision was so little for what God could do through a human being on the earth. 
So my heart is not, you know, let me just get into heaven by the, you know, just, just trying to get into heaven. My heart is not, let me get away with as much as I can on earth to get into heaven. My heart is, I want to do as much as I can, that I will be a conduit for heaven to come to earth. And that's who God has called us to be. So this morning, there's a word I feel in my heart. Actually, it's a word for this season. <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 it's something that sometimes I find happen where God gives me a message and I can't get off of it because it's, I, I live the message and it's my life, but it's like a seasonal word I feel God's uh, releasing to the body. And I'm not saying I preach the same thing everywhere I go, but there are times where God is like, this message, I just can't get it off my heart because it's like very, very significant for the season we're in. I feel like 2014 is a significant year. And I don't say that lightly because sometimes, you know, prophetic people say, oh yeah, you know, you just significant, significant. I really feel like something about this year is significant for 2015, 16, 17, 18. Like the things that God is going to align in this year, that's going to be the foundation and preparation for where it's going to be taking some of us in the body of Christ in the influence and the impact we're going to have in the nation but you realize for you to build a skyscraper you have to go deep first you can't go up if you're not going to go down and this is the season where God is calling us to launch into the deep things of God I didn't plan to say this but it's true the deep it says in the Psalms deep calls unto deep the deep things of God call onto the deep things that he's placed in our spirits. So for us to hear the call that's calling from the deep and for us to be heard in the depths of God, we need to go deep. And if deep is calling to deep, that means shallow is calling to shallow. And to respond to the voice of the deep, we have to shut off the voice of the shallow. In this time, I'm telling you, the distractions are not going to stop. Isaiah 60 says, darkness covers the earth, and great darkness the people, but the glory of God is going to arise upon his people. I'm here to declare to you, our greatest days are ahead of us. When I say our greatest days, I don't mean that in just the way of, you know, my blessing and my prosperity. I mean the greatest move of God that the planet has ever seen is yet to happen. And we could be living in a generation that's going to be preparing for that to take place. God says, the darkness is covering the earth, but the glory is going to arise upon his people. You know what that tells me? The darkness is not going to stop increasing. Yeah, the darkness is going to keep increasing, but the glory is also going to keep increasing. The glory is not going to increase upon the people who are not preparing themselves to carry that glory. Because the glory of God is a precious thing. God values his glory. And when we say, God, show me your glory, he's not just going to answer that prayer because we said it just once. He prepares us to be in a place where we can carry the weight of what we're asking for. And the process is not overnight. Because we can say one thing right here in prayer and our lifestyles reflect something else. <laughs> What's it? Joel 2.28 it says, In the last days I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. And when I say the greatest move of God, you know, that the earth has ever seen is yet to come, I refer to it a lot in that verse. Because Acts 2, Peter quoted Joel. And if you compare what happened on the day of Pentecost to what happened to what was prophesied in Joel 2, you realize the fullness of that has not yet happened. Just read it yourself. Joel 2 and then read uh, the day of Pentecost and what Peter preached and what happened. The fullness of the outpouring of God's spirit is yet to come. 
But if that's going to come, and if God is saying he wants to release that upon his people, that tells me something. We're not going to see a public display of the glory of God if we're not walking in the private overflow of his presence. Many times we cry out to God to show up for us publicly, but the question is, are we showing up for him privately? Because the authority we stand in in the public to release his power is dependent on the lifestyle we live in private. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke, but it's the lifestyle that brings the anointing that breaks the yoke. Are you with me? God is not after the display. God is after the state of the heart. And what I want to see God do right now in my generation and in me is that God will raise up burning hearts. That are not, it's not dependent on external things. See, at the end of this meeting, for me, success is the fact that you want to go home and seek God. Okay? Because I remember back in 2007, I was in a meeting and, um, in the ramp and, uh, in America. The ramp is a youth gathering. And the Lord really impacted my heart there. And I was just radically changing. As amazing as the messages were, the worship was, and all those things were, I couldn't get back home to see God. I couldn't wait to get back home to see God and pray. So I started to ask myself, I wonder what it would be like if we start judging how great a church service or meeting is, not by the presence of God we feel in the meeting, but by the desire for the presence of God we feel when the meeting is over. Because many people can come here and re repent and call out to God, the next moment you're just out there doing all the other junk stuff. And it's like, okay, well, almost compartmentalize our walk with God. Well, I've done that bit now, and I can just get on with the rest of my life. God is not after a part of your life. God is not after just a few hours on a Sunday morning or a few hours in the week. God is after your whole life. And you're not going to know God in a meeting. You're not going to know God in a, in a time like this. You're not going to know me in this kind of time. You, you might experience a bit of what, my, my anointing or what I'm called to do or whatever you want to call that. But you're not going to know me. You're not going to know Pastor Paul on a stage. You're going to have to spend time with him. And many of us in this microwave Christianity where we just want to do bits here, bits there. And we don't realize, actually, we're not going to know God. It, it says in Daniel, they that know their God will be strong and do exploits. The doing of the exploits is founded in the knowing of God. As much as I stand here to speak today, I know I do not know God. I know God, but I don't know him. Because you can't, you can't say you know enough of who he is. If, what's his name, Paul, could say that I may know him. After all the immense revelations it had of God, that tells me I better not get to a place where I think I know God. Because I do not know him. The more of him it reveals, the more of him I realize I need to know. And I'm saying that to say my desire for God to, uh, my, you know, all this stuff I'm doing with prayer and all that. I never planned to be a prayer leader. I never planned to be a person who was, you know, leading a prayer movement or whatever. All I had in my heart was I just wanted to be a guy that knew God. And I wanted to be a man who walked with God. Because that's like, Moses walked with you, Lord. He was in the old covenant. Why can I not walk with you like that, even more so in the new covenant? And there was a passion in my heart, even in my university days, spent hours praying and, and fasting and seeking God. Not to, not to lead a prayer movement, but to know God. And out of the place of encountering God, it starts to reveal to me what I'm called to do. And I didn't even think I was going to do it. I just thought, wow, that sounds, that looks great. I'm just going to pray that that happens. And all of a sudden, God begins to open doors for me to stand on platforms and pray. And I'm realizing, <laughs> I never planned to do this. I just stumbled into it as I went after knowing God. You're not going to know who you are if you don't first 
discover who he is when you discover him then you discover who is called you to be and actually who is called you to be secondary the primary thing and the first commandment and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength and that is where we are right now God is calling us to return to that place in a real deep way this year like never before so I found myself walking in this calling just because I started giving myself to knowing God. It's impossible to be hungry for God and not be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer. You, you, you can't tell me you're desiring God and you don't want to search him out in his word. And you don't want to spend time alone with him. It's impossible. This stuff is not going to happen just in meetings. There's a death that's going to come. And I'm going to finish, I'm going to just uh, uh, round up this thought here before I move on into this prophetic word God gave me. And you know, I was saying about the glory of God coming upon the people of God in these last days is going to be greater than anything we've seen before. But think about this. I've just got, uh, we just had a baby, my wife and I, Justice, and he's six months old. And right now, I can tell you this, I'll die for him. I'd rather die than anything bad happen to him. That's how much he means to me. Now, if I needed someone to babysit, okay, and my wife and I were out somewhere, like we went to America not too long ago, and we had to give him to my mom and, uh, and Becky's mom to look after. If you agree to babysit my son, and I came round to your house just to say hi, and there's broken glass on the, on the, on the, on the floor, needles everywhere, doors open, house in a mess, why would I have confidence to put in your house what is most precious to me? Why? <laughs> I'm not going to want to drop something that's valuable to me because by your lifestyle, you're not showing me that's valuable to you. So when we come to church and we say, God, I want more of you, God is saying, I want more of you. You can't be telling me you want more of me and my glory and your lifestyle is not reflecting it. All you do is come to church, listen to a nice sermon, maybe go to a Bible study here or there. I want to tell you this, by default, in this society, I know it myself because I experienced it, by default, if you do nothing, you backslide. If you just come to church, you just go to Bible study, and just, by default, you backslide. Because the society is so filled with darkness that it's like you're trying to swim against the tide. We're constantly swimming against the tide. If you do nothing, what happens? You get swept away. If you try to swim at, if, if the speed at which you're swimming upstream is the same speed at which, you know, the force is coming against you, what happens? You remain in the same position. So in other words, to make spiritual progress in the culture that we're living in, you have to apply spiritual violence. Which means the force at which, the force at which you're swimming upstream is greater than the opposition you're facing. So I'm here to tell you, just coming to church or going to Bible study or maybe say a little prayer here or there, that is not enough in this season. Because what God is about to release requires us to expand our, ourselves and cut away all the distractions and prepare ourselves for the glory of God. Comfortable people do not change history. You have to shake out of the comforts of, of materialism and comforts of relationships and say, God, I am in this place right now because I know it's only you that can change me. And when you change me, I can be a conduit to change the world. You will not impact a people with what you do not have yourself. See, 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 until we stand in a place where we have really met God, we have no authority to change a nation. 
Elijah could declare the word of God to the nation because he stood before God for real. Called on fire from heaven, crazy things happening. Those kind of moves of God do not happen just like that. And I'm here to prophesy to you, what's ahead of us is far greater than we realize. What's ahead of us? The best way I can articulate it in my understanding is, imagine all the great works of God in the Old Testament. Fire coming from heaven, the ground splitting open and swelling people up. You know, crazy stuff. And then add that up to the New Testament move of God, Holy Spirit resting upon individuals and signs, wonders, miracles. Combine both and what's ahead of us is greater than that. Because billions, listen to me, billions will be swept into the kingdom before Jesus returns. And I tell you what, I don't know when it's coming, but this could be a generation that's going to be the last generation before it returns. It might be in the next 20, 30, 40, I don't know. But it could be. And God is preparing you. So I'm here to say, don't just look at Pastor Paul or the people on stage here. Say, God, I want to be a conduit. I'm going to say this and I'm going to move into this word. <laughs> I know I've not even got into what I want to share. But think about this. I, I, I just want you to catch a responsibility that God is wanting you to catch. Because many times I come to church and place all the responsibilities on the pastors to do the work of the ministry. But according to Ephesians, the body are meant to do the work of the ministries. And the pastor, evangelist, you know, all the fivefold ministry, they're there to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. But you know the problem? Many of you do not realize you have a great responsibility to your generation. So if I should pick on you and say, this evening, say there was an evening service here. This evening, you're going to be preaching here this evening. And you just found out right now. I can guarantee you between now and that time, you're probably not going to go home and watch a movie. What are you going to do? You're going to go home and you're going to want to pray. God, what are you saying? God, what is in your word? You're going to want to seek God. My question is, why is it that it's only when you realize you have the responsibility you step up your prayer life? Right now, you have a responsibility to release the word of God to your workplace, to release the word of God to your school, to release the word of God to your university. And when that responsibility hits you, you cannot live your life like everybody else, like even every other Christian that's just going around doing this and doing that. You're like, God, there's a calling on my life, not to stand on a platform necessarily, but to impact a generation. So God, I've got to have the word of God. I've got to have the fire of God. And that is why you're going to seek him, because you realize you need him. And without him, you can do nothing. Nothing. But many of us in the church do not realize we all this generation of fire of God burning in us. Because when you get around your colleagues and get around your friends and you're not living for God like you should and you're not burning for God like you should, they do not experience the God in you they're supposed to experience. So you're robbing them of an encounter with God because of your complacency. And these are the days that God wants to shake us out of that. And this is the word I want to go into. I remember not too long ago. We have these all-night prayer meetings every week, just really going uh, deep in God and just seeking God. And I was, in, I was having this all-night prayer meeting with a friend of mine, and uh, as we were just seeking God, he just gave me this word. He says, James, I really feel like God's saying, you know, if we focus, God is going to do great and mighty things. This was in August. And August is a time when we have all the summer, summer festivals, you know, like the, the new wine, the, the grapevine, the soul survivor and all that. And um, I need some water. <laughs> and um, in this time, uh, at this time in August, I found myself speaking at a, 
I spoke at the New Wine Youth uh, uh, venues, some of the youth venues, and there's another uh, uh, summer festival called uh, Grapevine. It's, the name is now changed to the One Event. So I found myself speaking at one of the youth venues there. So the, uh, it was one of the nights before I went there that this friend of mine gave me this word saying, I really feel like God saying, if we focus, it's going to do great and mighty things. So I went to bed at this conference venue uh, uh, place, and I woke up the next morning, I was supposed to be speaking, and I just kept, I had this word, this resonating in my heart, like I couldn't get rid of it, it was just resonating and resonating, and the word was just consecrate, consecrate, consecrate. So I was just like, I feel like God was challenging me, and the moment that word hit me, I knew what it meant for me, you know, I knew what it meant for me. But I'd not made the connection to the word uh, uh, my friend had given me the day before. And that word was this. I'll repeat it again. It says, if we focus, God's going to do great and mighty things. Okay? So I went into this conference. After, after speaking, I met a friend that I'd not seen for a while. And he was asking me, he's like, James, what do you feel God's saying? And I was like, you know, as of this morning, I just really feel God's calling me to consecrate myself in a new way. You know, it's like, oh, that's amazing. Because God's given me this scripture, Joshua 3.5. And most of you know Joshua 3, 5. It says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, so that was the end of that conversation. And I felt like a connection. And God was stirring something. Well, that night I went to, I went to bed. Woke up in the, next, the next morning. But I, I woke up in this state where you're half asleep and you're kind of awake. You know, it was in that zone. And um, God gave me this dream. That really rocked me because in the dream, my wife came to me in the dream and she said, uh, James, I really, um, she said, you know, she called me to sit down. We, it was like in a restaurant kind of place. We sat down and she says, James, I really have this peaceful sense of big things ahead. And the moment she said that, I have this peaceful sense of big things ahead. Presence of God falls on both of us in the dream. She starts weeping and weeping. In the dream, I'm looking at her, sensing the presence of God, but in reality on my bed, I am shaking violently. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. Where God, sometimes that happens to me. God's presence comes on you, and it's like your body can't handle it. And I just start shaking to the point that I shook out of the dream. Presence of God is in the room, and instantly I knew God is trying to communicate a message to me for this season. And I believe the message is summed up in this. Joshua 3.5, and that's where I'm going to start. It says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, the verse is interesting because in my version, it doesn't actually say today. It doesn't say consecrate yourselves today. But the context is Joshua is addressing the people of God for what's ahead of them. And basically, he's saying to them, consecrate yourselves today. For God is going to do amazing, thing, amazing things amongst you tomorrow. Now listen to this. Consecration is never about today. Consecration is always about your tomorrow. Your today is your seed for your tomorrow. When God gives you a vision of what's ahead, it, it almost puts um, a restraint into how you live your life. Because when God has a special mission, he places a demand on a lifestyle. It places a demand on an individual for a special lifestyle. 
I'll say that again. When God has a special mission, it places a demand on an individual for a special lifestyle. When God has things he wants to do, he looks on the earth and looks for people whose hearts are connected to him and are ready and are being prepared. Because just imagine with me, God is uh, on his calendar wanting to release the breakout of his spirit, like I've just said, like we've not seen before. Say that's going to happen in 15, 10 years, five years, who knows? And say there's going to be a massive move of God in this city. This city has, uh, Greater Manchester has 2.6 million people. Imagine, you know, over a million, you know, or even more than that, people just coming into the kingdom. Say that was going to happen in five years' time. Do you realize right now God is preparing people because those moments do not just happen like that. Evan Roberts, uh, when he was 13, Evan Roberts, by the way, led, uh, led the Welsh Revival 1904, 1905, 1906, and God impacted the nation of Wales, I mean, in a radical way. This is not just a nice church meeting. The media is talking about it. Football players not showing up to football games because they're in the church repenting. You know, people are on the streets under the weight of conviction. When I talk about revival, I don't mean a nice church meeting. I mean, God breaking into society and the very fabric of society is changed. You know, the crime basically went to zero in that time. The police officers did not have any work to do because people were just repenting and calling out to God. The pubs shut down. The places where people got drunk shut down. It was like people were just consumed with the reality of God. Evan Roberts led that revival. And at 13, no, that revival, uh, uh, he led that revival when he was 26. But at 13... A leader in his church said to him, never miss a prayer meeting because that could be the meeting where the Holy Spirit breaks out and you don't want to be missing out. <laughs> so at 13, he decides to give himself to prayer. While his friends were playing, he was praying. And God was preparing him. 13 years later, he became a voice for an awakening. At 13, do you know he didn't know what was ahead of him 13 years he gave himself faithfully to seek God. And then God said, now I'm going to make you a voice. John the Baptist was in the wilderness from an early age. Luke 1.8, he says, he was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. He was in a desert place. What was he doing? He was eating locusts and wild honey and doing weird stuff. Okay? And then... About the age of 30, he starts to declare the word of the Lord. He starts to call a nation to repentance. He didn't raise the dead, he didn't heal the sick, but he turned a nation to God. He prepared the nation for what God was about to do. Do you know the message that he preached when he was 30 was a message he lived before he actually got to preach it? He was in the desert seeking God. Have you ever been in, have you ever tried to pray in a cold room? Do you realize it's very hard to focus? Because you're very concerned about how your external conditions are and how you're feeling. Well, John the Baptist was in the desert heat and probably desert cold. And the Bible still says he had a burning heart. You know what that tells me? What was going on on the inside of him was greater than what was going on on the outside of him. And his heart was burning before God. And I'm here to say, when God says consecrate yourself today, he's calling you to align your life today. What does consecrate mean? To consecrate, you have to separate. You cannot consecrate without separating. Consecration is a picture of holiness. The New Testament word for holiness can also be translated back into consecrate. To set apart. To set apart from, but to set apart to. So you don't just set apart from for the sake of religious activity. You set yourself apart to something. Think of the athletes. 
when they've got the Olympics, you know, they don't wait till the week before the main games, before they start training. That would be stupid and silly and impossible. Years, years before the games comes, they have a vision. And you know what that vision means? It means they can't eat burgers. They go out with their friends and their friends are eating burgers. They can't eat burgers because they're on a strict diet. You tell me that's legalistic? They have a vision of what is ahead of them. So they cannot do what everyone else is doing. So their lives become narrow. It becomes focused. That is what it means to be consecrated. They are consecrated unto their sports. They're set apart from burgers, from all the time, other things that waste their time, and they're waking up at five in the morning to train because they're looking ahead and they can see there's a game ahead. And I want to be ready when that day comes. I want to be ready when that day comes. And God is saying to you, people of God, this is the day to cut yourself away from the distractions of movies, entertainment, boyfriends, girlfriends that are just zapping away your emotions that other people God has for you. <laughs> are you with me? Have I lost half of you there? <laughs> because I tell you what, I'm very frustrated with a lot of young people in the church who just think it's all about going from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. Why are you going to waste your life with a person that God has not called you to? When you see what God has ahead of you, you're going to want to keep yourself for the right person. And... <laughs> Maybe that verse is so relevant right now that people perish because of lack of vision. Wasting lives away. Wasting our lives of entertainment. I'm not saying entertainment is wrong, by the way. I'm not saying all these things are wrong. But you see, Hebrews 12 says, we should lay aside the weight and the sin. So the weight is different to the sin. The sin that the obvious things you don't want to be watching porn no one is you know the spirit of god is in you know that's not right you don't want to be messing around with your boyfriend and girlfriend you know that's not right you don't want to be stealing you don't want to be taking drugs you know that's not right the, those things are clear cut sin but when you have a vision ahead that things that others may think are nothing but they become a weight to you and god is saying it's a time to begin to cut off the weight because it's eating away your time, your energy, your focus. And you know you're supposed to be reading the Bible, but you don't, you don't even have time to read right now because you're just consumed by all other things apart from him. Do you know he wants to be your obsession? He, sorry, he wants, you to be, he, he, he wants you to see him as your obsession because he's obsessed with you. And the only reason why he's calling you to give him all is because he's giving you all. And I'm one of those people that's like, God, what more can I give? What more do you require of me in this day that I will be a vessel that, one, walks closely with you? And that, two, I would see an awakening in my day, like I've read about. Not just signs and wonders. I'm great, I'm happy for signs and wonders, and I want to see more of that. But I mean society changed from the inside out. As I was praying this morning, I said to my wife in the car, I was asking God, Father, what is it going to take? What is it, what, what lifestyle is it going to require? 
for me to be a conduit of your spirit that can be poured out in such a way and I'm not saying that me because I want everyone to look at me but I'm even saying that for the body what's it going to look like for us to be a conduit for you to release something that's so precious to you like that what lifestyle does that require do you, really, do you realize when you begin to ask questions like that and you really mean it God begins to narrow your life down David said one thing Psalm 27 4. One thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. You know, he's pretty much the most significant influential man, influential man in the nation. Think of Obama, someone who is in high office, yet with all the responsibilities and all the things that could ask God for, he narrowed his life down to one thing the presence of God. Is that really your one thing? Or is it one thing jobs, marriage, babies? All these other things, big ministry, whatever. What is your one thing? And I'm here to say to you, if it's not God, today, let it be God. If there's anything I want to inspire in you, I want to inspire hunger. That there's more than this. There's more than you sitting down looking at me talking. There is more than this. You can walk a lot closer with God than you are currently walking with him. And he has dreams for you in that place of intimacy. Babies are born in intimacy. The things God's not going to release to you until you get really intimate with him. The problem is many times we get intimate with him, we receive the vision, then we run off and forget the intimacy as the foundation of everything. So we can receive an anointing from God that could be perceived as great on a platform but do you know it's a shame to really uh, judge how well you're doing spiritually by the anointing of God on your life to minister or to sing or to play or to do anything because I am not after a public display that's not a private reality I don't want to stand in front of people and cry out to God and pray and I get in my room and my heart is just dead before God. Because God is more concerned about my burning out when no one is looking. He's more concerned about that with you as well. And I'm saying, this is the time to make this a high priority. It's time to consecrate. Say consecrate. When I say this word, sometimes what comes out in people's mind is legalistic actions and trying to do things out of just, oh yeah, they said we should do this, they said we should do No, 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 no. When you're really passionate about someone, you don't do things out of rules and regulations. You do things out of your passion for them. See, rules plus regulations minus relationship is going to equal rebellion and resentment. And that's what happens a lot in the world. People just encounter the rules and regulations. Okay, I'm not supposed to drink. I'm not supposed to da 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 da. You know, just the rules and regulations. But they've not encountered the reality of the relationship that's the foundation for why people don't do those things. And I'm saying, when you begin to hunger and thirst after God for real, your life begins to narrow down. Think about this. If you choose to fulfill the first and greatest commandment as your one priority in your life, to love the Lord all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, do you realize your life is going to become very narrowed? Because you cannot be emotionally intense at 10 things at the same time. If you're going to love the Lord of God with all your heart, your emotions are involved, your soul, your mind, your thinking, what you fill your mind with is very important. And your strength, what you do with your hands and your feet and all that stuff. Your life becomes very narrow to just God. God becomes, you see, uh, John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
I want to be in a place where my satisfaction is not in the, le- is not in the next uh, latest movie that's come out in the cinema. Or my fascination is not in that. My fascination is in God. You know, if you step into the throne room right now, those angels that are going around crying, holy, holy, holy. You know, they're not doing that out of boredom. They've been doing that since the days of Isaiah. And they're still doing that right now. There's something they're singing that we're not singing. If you stepped into the throne room of God and tapped one of them on the shoulder and says, is this necessary? What do you think their response would be? Can you see what we're seeing? The problem is we're not seeing the same thing. My, my question to you is, when was the last time you really saw Jesus? Because <laughs> I don't want to stand before him on that last day and look into his eyes like fire and that be the first time I've seen it. I want to be in my bedroom and seeking God and I can still behold his eyes like fire because my heart is just positioned to go after him. After him. Not the things he can give me. Him. It's impossible to seek his face and not get his mouth. It's impossible to seek his face and not be close to his mouth to hear his whispers. And many of us in a place where there's so much noise, so much noise, you know, the noise of even needs. It talks about, you know, Jesus talks about the parable of the soil, when the cares of the world have choked up the seed, the cares of the world, all the material, you know, all the things. And I'm like, God, I want to be consumed by passion and love for you. But I know as I'm consumed in you, there is no way that's not going to overflow to impact the people and the things around me. It's just a byproduct. So I always say that my, my heart is not just to cry out for God to move in the city. Um, I, I do cry out for, for that, and I'm passionate about that, but I am more passionate about God than I am revival in the sense of God moving in the nation. Because I realize it's possible to be passionate about the works of God and not God himself. You can Become passionate about serving God, even in church. You know, doing the things you're meant to do. Ushering and, you know, you're doing all these things. But you, you get carried away with the work. And then when it comes to just you and God alone, it's just dead, bored, nothing. What do you have with God? What is your secret life like with God? In these last days, friends, and, and people of God, I'm telling you, God is calling us to grow on the inside. Grow on the inside. These words start to resonate in my heart. And I start to realize, wow, God, I need to start to cut things out of my life right now. Uh, they're not bad, but they're just weights. I need to cut them off because I want to be more focused. I want to seek you in a deeper way because I really want to know you, God. I really, really, really want to know you. I don't want to just talk about you. I really want to know you. And all these things start coming up. And God is just confirming this word more and more and more. How much time do I have? Let me just see. I've got a timer on my iPad here <laughs> telling me how much time I have because I want to pray for people. I want to I want to pray at the end and I'll give people time. Um, I'm going to skip a few things I was planning to say and I want to go to this word um, in um, in Genesis 12 uh, verse 1 to 3. Uh, we see Abraham here. God calls Abraham. I'm going to read this out quickly. Uh, God said to Abraham. Now the Lord has said to, at the time his name was Abram. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, 
and from your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. If you go back to verse 1 it says get out of your country and from your family Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I want you to notice this. God promises Abraham great increase and great blessing. But notice that increase does not come until we get on the other side of separation. What Abraham had to do here was a form of consecration. The different dimensions of consecration. Because circumcision was also part of that. But the point is, increase does not come until... We get to the other side of separation. There are some things that God will not move you into until you're out of what he called you out of. And this year, I want to move into the fullness of what God has for me this year. So I need to come out of what he's calling me out of. There's got to be a place of consecration and disconnection if there's going to be a real elevation into the next dimension. Are you tracking with me? The children of Israel went on a journey into the wilderness. A journey that should have taken them 11 days. Took them 40 years. Because God could not get them to disconnect from the ideologies of their former bondage. They could not move into the fullness of what, of what God had. Because they were still connected to the ideology of the former bondage. Now somebody I want to, uh, uh, a picture I want to paint with the life of Abraham. Because if you look at Abraham, his, his name was Abraham, and then God changes his name to Abraham. God adds Ham to the end of his name. This is my last point, so to speak, and then I'm going to lead us in some time of prayer. But who is Ham? According to Genesis 9, Ham was one of the three sons of Noah. If you remember the story, Noah got drunk, okay? And Ham was the one who came in and saw his father's nakedness. Genesis 9 says this, 9.22 uh, says this, and, uh, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. You know, this was not just ordinary saw the nakedness of his father. Because if you look at the Hebrew word for saw, the Hebrew word is reha, R-A-A-H. You know what it means? It means to stare intently with joyous desire. So there was perversion going on there. Okay? Ham comes in, sees his father's nakedness, and Perversion is stirred inside. And actually, we know there was perversion in, Ham, in Ham's heart. Because if you look at the, gene <coughs> the genealogy, excuse me, you find that Sodom and Gomorrah uh, were, uh, 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 was a land that was under Ham's government. Are you with me? What one generation allows in tiny bits, it accelerates in the next generation. The compromise of one generation becomes the captivity of the next generation. What we allow in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. And Ham begins to have, it begins to be a picture of this. Now, where am I going with this? The point is, 
Abraham's name was changed from Abram to Abraham. And when Noah woke up and realized what happened, listen to what he said. He didn't say cursed be Ham. He said cursed be Canaan. Now that's a bit interesting because Canaan did nothing. Canaan is Ham's son. Okay, Ham did something wrong. Canaan comes out of his drunken state, realizes what's happened, and he doesn't curse Ham, he curses Canaan. And I'm thinking, well, what's going on here? And I feel, and you know the interesting thing is, today, for us Christians, what's Canaan? The promised land. Okay, God promises Abraham the promised land. Okay, are you with me? I'm going somewhere with this. So, uh, Noah says cursed be Canaan and the question now is how is it that today for us and in the Bible days it became the promised land I believe it became the promised land because God raised up a covenant man and God made Abraham inherit what Ham forfeited and God promised Abraham the promised land that became a cursed land. So the question is, how does a cursed land become the promised land? God raises up a covenant man. And the covenant man, he sends him into the middle of the curse. And he becomes the person who turns around the curse. The place of the greatest curse becomes the, the place of the greatest blessing. You see where I'm going with this? Some of you right now, there's been generational issues in your life that have come from one generation to the next, divorce after divorce after divorce, drug addiction after drug addiction after drug addiction, and right here, God is calling you out, consecrate yourself, because I'm going to make you a covenant man, and in the place of the covenant, you're going to become the one who turns around the curse. It stops on your shift. It stops on your shift. No more drug addiction from here onwards. No more divorce from here onwards. No more broken families from here onwards. I am a covenant man. And I consecrate myself to God. I come out of my country. And even though, you know, the circumcision is according to the way of the flesh. All the things of the flesh, Lord, I begin to say, take them away. And I prepare myself to stand in the place of authority. To begin to reverse the curse. Reverse the curse. See, this is the problem. This is the problem. You cannot have authority over an enemy you've just been sleeping with. You cannot be binding the devil when he's binding you very comfortably. And you're okay with it. That is why there needs to be a disconnection and a separation because there's a next dimension God is calling you into to inherit the promised land. And for me, when I see the picture of the promised land, I see awakening, I see revival. But you can interpret that in whatever context you're in right now. So in other words, for us to see the greater point of God that's promised ahead of us, we need to step into what Abraham stepped into. Come out from among them and be separate. Do you know that could even mean Christians? You know, to be unequally yoked is not necessarily to marry an unbeliever. You can marry a Christian or be with a Christian and be unequally yoked. Because... <laughs> what's the picture of a yoke? It's tied onto the neck of the whatever, the animals. Two animals are walking together to plow the, the land or the field. And they both have to walk at the same pace. 
Because otherwise, it's not going to happen. Okay? So you want to know who to marry. Run as fast after God as you can. Listen. And then when you hit top speed, look at who's next to you. <laughs> this is the time to be equally yoked with friends and people who are going in the same direction as you. Don't waste your time with Christians who want to get drunk, who want to take drugs, who want to mess about. I want God and I'm going to give God everything in me. I'm going to seek God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. I want God, nothing else. This is the time for this. The word is to consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Can the band come up? We're going to pray right now. Stand with me. Consecrate yourself. I'm not even asking you about issues that are wrong and sinful. Some of you need to do that right now. You need to break away from compromise and complacency. God is going to do that. But right now, I'm even asking for you. And, you know, this is not something to be ashamed of, to respond to. To say, God, yes, I want to consecrate myself in a new way. And as you begin to say yes to God in your heart, ask him, what are you requiring of me in this season? What are you requiring of me today to prepare myself for what you have ahead what does that look like? Does that mean no more Facebook? Okay, great. Does that mean no more cinemas? Great. Does that mean no more hanging out this time when I could be praying? Okay, great. Look, what does it look like? I'm not saying that's what God is saying to you. I'm just saying those things for you to begin to open your heart to say, Lord, whatever you want, I'm saying yes. Does that mean cutting away of this relationship? Well, I say yes. Lord, what do you want of me today? I just want you, God. What is getting in the way of me knowing you, God? I don't want anything to hinder that, Lord. Father God. Jesus. Ask him that right now. What are you requiring of me? John 5.35 I want to be a burning and a shining lamp. My John was. What are you requiring of me? I don't want to be complacent. Oh, Jesus, break away this complacency that's easily settled in my walk with you. Break away the boredom from my walk with you, God. I don't want to be bored when I read the Bible anymore. I don't want to be bored when I sing and worship and pray. I don't want to be bored. Break away the dullness of my mind and my emotions. I want to be connected in a deep way. Father, what are you requiring of me? And I'm saying yes. There's a yes in my heart, God. What is it you want, God, from me? I am saying yes, whatever it is. I want to invite you to respond to this. Whatever you want to do, if you want to come forward and just kneel before God as a sign of re responding, saying, God, I'm saying yes, feel free to do that right now. You know, I'm going to pray over us, but I feel like some of you just need to do a physical act of even responding, saying, God, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and I'm stepping into a place of saying, yes, God, you've got to have all of me. You've got to have all of me, God. There's no other way. I do not want to live any other way, God. Just call out to God. Just call out to Him. Jesus. 
is here and is resting on us 